This is Jan Scruggs. I'm president and the founder of the National Vietnam Veterans Memorial on the Mall in Washington, DC. And let me tell you something, it was not easy getting that memorial built, but we had a lot of people who volunteered their help to us. And um, some of these are great heroes, but we all need heroes in our life. And a lot of these heroes we have, you never see them on television or in the radio, uh, or you never, they don't really get any acclaim. But here is one of my heroes from all time. His name is Ram Chavez. Fascinating because his life has revolved around music. Uh, even in 1965, he had a band called the Impalas and uh, they played the music. They were very popular in Texas and uh, he's very good, not only at playing music and playing different instruments, but teaching people how to play and forming a band and coming up with everything that needs to be done. So he's a real leader and uh, ended up uh, beginning the, the Veterans Band of Corpus Christi which is one of the most beautiful cities in America. It's a fantastic place. But uh, this veterans band does a lot of good, visits VA hospitals and, and helps uh, people, uh, even the veterans who have some PTSD and a lot of times by playing music that helps them uh, to get better. But the reason we're talking to him, Ram Chavez is that Uncle Sam knocked on his door and said, uh, we need you for the United States Army. And uh, he says, well, great. I, I, I'm sure you need a good band director. Let me, I'll join the Army band. Of course, they wanted another year of his time. So he just rolled the dice. He was trained as a combat medic. And a combat medic is, uh, you know, that's a really dangerous job. And uh, something amazing happened uh, when he was in Vietnam. And he ended, ended up, I'm going to let Ram tell the story. The scene here is the Tet Offensive and you get some news about the medics. What happened, Ram? Yes, uh, well, uh, you know, I was, I was at the main headquarters, main base camp as a medic and having a great time. I thought it was a great way to fight the war. And uh, unfortunately on December 6th, uh, three medics went down with A412, as you well know, and um, they sent three of us out. And, and matter of fact, I was not the third one, Jan. They call out three names and Bill Blakely, who went out the next day, was not, was not there. They said he made a run to 24th Avac Hospital. So then the first sergeant looked at the list and he looks up and looks at me and says, Chavez, get your gear. And there I was, the whole world was about to change. And let me tell you something about music that day. As I ran back to the barracks to get my equipment, I get your gear. I remember I had instruments there. And as I'm trying to figure out what gear, you know, this is new to me. What do you mean get my gear? So I'm confused, just moving things around. And I grabbed the saxophone and picked it up and moved it. And the sergeant that was helping me said, Best thing he could have said, he said, Ram, don't worry. If anything happens to you, we'll get your horns back home. And I stopped, Jen. And I looked at him. And he said, I I'm sorry, Ram. I'm sorry. I said, Sergeant, thank you. You just made me realize this is it. This is the real thing. And man, all of a sudden, I was like a different person. 
like focus. And I knew what to take with me, my punchline, bubble, and we were gone. And as we sat in the Chinook, the three of us, we stared at the equipment that was in that Chinook. There were five gallon water bottles, ammunition, sea rations, and a stack high of body bags. Mm. And that's what we're staring at. So the three of us sat there, Bill, Lily, uh, Benson, Jed, and we just sat there, didn't say a word, we just stared. And of course, uh, as one by one went out to the field, I ended up with Lieutenant Wayne Smith, uh, Company A, 4th Battalion, 12th Infantry. And um, that's why I started my career as a combat medic, you know. Yes. Well, there is, uh, you had quite a reputation for gallantry. And uh, when soldiers were wounded, uh, you just kind of walked over there and dragged them back. And uh, it was kind of amazing that you, uh, you, weren't, you weren't seriously injured, but you did get wounded once, right? Yes, uh, that's uh, at the end. I had made it actually without a scratch. And on May 4th, 1968, my replacement arrives, Harvey Lynn Cooley. And I'm told that uh, he's going to replace me and I'm, I'll be out of there just to brief him. So we spend the night, the 4th, all day, uh, all day the 4th, the night of the 4th talking. Um, then on the 5th was my last day. So instead of going on the supply chopper back to the main base camp, I decided to jump in the medical convoy. They were moving the, the base camp to Stephanie. And I said, what are they going to do to me? I'll help them set up the aid station. Next day, I catch a, a supply chopper and go back. So I jumped in the, with a battalion surgeon. And when we arrived, of course, we set up the aid station. And the, the mini test starts again, the Easter offensive. All night in the morning, I'm helping with the wounded when they carry in Harvey body in. And I saw it. And what I'm telling you right now, Jen, it's, it's in uh, the book, Days of Valor. And I never spoke, I never spoke to, to Captain Tassetic. He looked for me. He was looking for a Hispanic medic at reunions that I didn't attend. And, but he know my name. Finally, he described me. And someone said, oh, you're talking about Chavez. He said, that's him. So I, I'm honored that he wrote what I'm telling you. And I never talked to him. I because see. he actually witnessed. When I looked up and the battalion surgeon looked at me and said, Ram, you're not going back. I said, I am going back. And so I put a medical back together and headed back to my unit, which was now Delta 412. And um, then three times during the, <laughs> I blessed myself because I thought it was going to be over for Ram Chavez and our unit. And um, matter of fact, I just received a beautiful letter from, from Richard Grover, who was wounded that night, and Ken Kuznick. And Lieutenant Smith was a platoon leader. And as uh, we ambushed two NBA coming toward our position, and he said, go check them out. And as they stepped out, he said, Doc, go with them. Maybe, you know, they're wounded. So I'm walking about eight feet behind them when all of a sudden one of the guys uh, sits up and throws a grenade. Oh. And I don't remember firing my weapon, but my weapon was empty. <laughs> and I, I was thrown back and I got up and and was a little shaky and hurt uh, Richard Payne and Kent. So I pulled one of them back 
and uh, a couple of guys pulled uh, the other uh, can back, and I started treating them. And I keep wiping, I keep wiping my forehead, and I'm scared because I just got blown back and, and had no idea that was one in the forehead. And so I kept wiping my forehead. I had a, a camouflage beret that I put on, and it put pressure. <laughs> okay. So after it was quiet, I was around 1045 that night. And as um, the, the chopper came in and picked him up, I told McGuire, the RTO, I said, McGuire, I got a bad headache. I'm going to put my head down. He said, go ahead, doc. So I put my head down, fell asleep. Then around 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the morning, you hear a small fire. I wake up, and oh, my God, there was about, uh, they estimated from 12 to 2,000 in front of us. And we fought all night. That, that's when the presidential Union Sanitation was awarded to D-412. And that's when I blessed myself twice more, <laughs> making it three. And so uh, in the morning, once it stopped and we started taking care of folks, uh, they're coming around and said, Doc, you have blood on your, on your face, on the side of your face. I said, no, I think it's, it's not. He says, and I pulled, they pulled out my beret, and sure enough, I had a, I had been hit with shrapnel right above. You can see the scar. And next time, you, if you don't know about it, you don't think about it. When I tell you, then you say, yeah, there it is. <laughs> you know, so being short paid off that night. Yeah. That's what I looked at. When you bless yourself, tell 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 us what that means for not a, not, a lot of us are not Catholic, but I, I I saw the 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 what was going on in the battle, and um, you could see them coming at us as close as thirty meters as we we're hitting them, and uh, I made the sign of the cross and said a short prayer because I thought they were going. One time I even yelled and said, "McGuire, McGuire." And there was one, and one I, I could tell I was hitting him because the medics are all soldiers. And, and as I fired, I could see I, I was hitting him, but he kept coming at me. Psychologically, it, it was getting to me. And so McGuire took care of him. And, and that's one of the times that I blessed myself because I thought that NVA was going to come right at me and get to me. And, and so I made the sign of the cross, said a short prayer. Then I, I continued then. I heard someone hit, so I crawled a couple of positions over and took care of those guys. Then came back to my position and continued. And um, it went on for about four hours until daylight. And uh, that's that's what happened. That. And so then the first Sergeant Jones came over and wanted to send me in. I said, no, no, uh, we don't, that'd be, we're back to square one. We're gonna be short of medic. You're going to be short of medic and a senior medic. I'm staying. So I, I stayed. And about 45 minutes later, we heard the radio where a squad was in trouble. That was my friend, Pascual Pancho Ramirez. And so that's when I went after the squad because they were going to get run over. And he was wounded. And so I, I ran about 30, 40, I don't know, and I dragged him back. And as I'm dragging him, uh, he's still getting hit, you know, and he only feels the elbow. He doesn't even realize he's hit in, in the abdominal area and, and the other arm. And so I, I pulled him into a, a ditch type of, and I was able to stay there. And the rest of the squad followed me. 
And so I, I tended to him. And, he, and when I started opening his shirt, he didn't realize he had been hit. He was worried about his elbow. The, you know, it hurt. And so uh, I remember him telling me, uh, please let tell my wife that uh, I love this. And I kind of snapped back and I said, you're not going to die in front of you. You're too mean, man. You're going to survive. <laughs> you gave and him a motivational speech. I see. <laughs> what about uh, uh, your meeting with uh, Angelo Ledecky? Uh, for those who don't know him, he was a very yep. famous Catholic chaplain who won the Medal of, uh, was, received the Medal of Honor. Well, you know, I always felt, it took 50 years to realize, I always felt something. And, and, and I went back to Vietnam in 2017 and found the, the battle site of February 23rd, which was the courtyard of a Catholic church. And it came all together, Jan. When I arrived on December 6th, uh, I had no idea. They dragged me to this platoon. They set me down. Uh, Norman Reese was the RTO and Lieutenant Wayne Morris was a platoon leader. And being a green uh, medic, I wasn't under fire familiar with the bag, the medical bag has a lot of zippers and compartments. And I was dropping uh, bandages and pills and aspirin and all kind of stuff. And finally, I, I felt a, a hand on my left shoulder. And I come down, he said, come down, son, you, you'll be okay. Don't worry, I'll bring you the wounded. And I looked up and I see a tall man in a t-shirt, you know, without a name in sickness. So I had no idea who he was. And all day, for the next two, three days, he would bring me wounded and so on, or we'd carry to the helicopter, to medevac, and so on, you know. But I had no idea who he was. Until December 10th, they pulled us back, and uh, I'm sitting there, I don't know anybody, but Lieutenant Wayne Morris and Norman Reese, and that's it. That's all the guys that I've been in contact with four days, and this tall man. He walks over to me with my mail. Remember, I was at the different unit. And he says, here's your mail, Chavez. And I looked up and I saw the rank and the cross. And I realized he was a chaplain. I still didn't know he was a Catholic chaplain. I had no idea what he had been doing, only what I had seen when he brought someone to me. And that was it. Then, then uh, I realized he's a chaplain. So I asked uh, Norman, he said, oh, yeah, he's a Catholic, he's an awesome man. And of course, I found out later exactly how great he was. But here's a catch. On February 23rd, well, there are a lot of incidents, but on February 23rd, we were fighting in Cholong, in front of the racetrack. The 37 fought at the racetrack again, and we were brought in and we, we went to the neighborhood. And we end up in the church, uh, St. Savior Catholic Church, and they had set up headquarters there. Do you know why they set up there? No. It took me 50 years to realize. When I was there in Vietnam in 2017, the Maine's men told me that there's a tunnel complex in the church that was built by the French in 1920. Oh. So the Vietnamese knew that. And we couldn't understand how come they had bunkers under the church. Well, all they did was they're actually in the tunnels under the church. Oh. And so we were fighting there and uh, I saw the point people get hit and from the other platoon and uh, Captain Dabney, he verified this and Lieutenant Smith were going to call artillery on the church. 
And I said, if you do that, you're going to kill those three guys at walking point. And the, uh, Lieutenant Morris was the one who was, uh, uh, I was with at the time. And he's on the radio with uh, James Dabney. And, I, and he said, no, they're dead. I said, no, I saw them get hit. Now, Jan, I've been there almost uh, three months. I'm experienced. I can tell when somebody's hit and alive. And I said, I saw them get hit. And I was positive. And they said, no, 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 we're going to call it in. So I just took off. I took a running mistake, but I tripped. Mm -hmm. When I tripped, I heard a machine gun go over my head. Everybody thought I got hit. And Johnson, who was an M60, always gave me cover. He yelled at me and said, Doc, are you hit? Are you alive? I said, shut up. Just stop. And I, I just didn't move for a while just to fake it. And I said, give me some cover. So I started crawling. And... Um, uh, the, according to the citation, I crawled 100 meters. Uh, but uh, I, actually, I did it twice. The citation only says one. When I got there, Jan, two guys were wounded and alive, and one was dead. Yeah. So what I did, I, I moved them over on the other side of the dike to give them some protection. And uh, I, 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 I decided to, to bring the most serious wounded first. So... I brought him crawling back to the, and Sergeant Cavallo helped me. And then I crawled back to the position and helped. The other guy was carrying the radio in point. And so when he got hit, the radio kind of helped him. So his wound, he could crawl on one side, but he couldn't climb the dikes or the ditches or anything like that. So I had to help him. In the meantime, I was dragging the body of, uh, Rodolfo Vasquez, we call him Chico from El Paso. Chico. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the snipers from the tower are shooting at me from the bell tower. And they're hitting him, Jan. They're hitting him. Well, and at one time, you, sir? You hear these stories, Ram. They don't really know what war is like uh, unless they've been in one. And there's uh, a lot of terrible things that happen. And uh, the soldiers learn to rely on, on each other and uh, each other's bravery. So tell me when you went to see these names at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, what, what was going through your mind? Oh man, the first time I was there was in 1989. Uh, and uh, I mean, I know exactly where I go, the panels I go to, you know, I know exactly where to go. Uh, and uh, that's where I visit. I visit always December 6th, then February 23rd, and then May. And then I go visit my friends' classmates and so on. But first, I always visit, visit my red catchers first, you know, every time. And uh, uh, my best friend uh, uh, played in my band, Paul Anis, is there May 12th. He's close to the group from uh, D412. So that's that's good, and then February, uh, Chico, and of course uh, uh, December, and then January the Tet Offense. So I, I visit all the them. It never fails. I've been there uh, eight, ten times, and anytime the wall comes to Texas or Corpus, I I I don't miss it. I, I've only missed one, and that was the last month. Uh, there was one because of the pandemic and the, the fact that the band was doing a, a, a special event that day. Uh, 
uh, we were not able to go. But otherwise, I have never missed a wall in Washington if I'm there or in, in Texas, in South Texas. Well, I want to tell our listeners about your great career after you got back. Uh, you got out of the Army and you got yourself a college degree and uh, at, a, at a very respected university. And but, but while you were there, you were a band director and uh, you ended up being an assistant principal. So your entire life has revolved around music and starting the veterans band, Corpus Christi, Texas. And uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And I'm so honored to know you. And I hope that more people will get to know a little bit about your courage and uh, your willingness to to step to the front in the middle of adversity, you know, to give your life if you had to. And uh, you're very, very lucky. And I think, you know, sometimes I think there must be a God. And for some people, he just doesn't want to take right away. <laughs> and uh, you're a real survivor of some real stuff. And as am I, we almost got killed several times myself. But uh, uh, you're a fantastic person. So... Do uh, you have any final thoughts you'd like to tell the vast listen, uh, listening audience? You know, these podcasts kind of get passed yes. like books for years and years. They end up showing up different places. But go ahead. Say some words, any words of wisdom. Yeah, I, I like to close with, um, I also enjoy speaking to students. I'm asked to speak to Honor Society, inductions, uh, band, band uh, director, band students, uh, last uh, end of the year banquets, uh, some great opportunities. And uh, there's three things that saved my life. Teaching music to young people. So music was a vehicle. In 1972, when I retired my band because it was getting close to graduation, immediately I'm asked to teach band camp. And from then on, the youth was involved. So there was never a break in my music at all, it was. I look back and I was like, it was. It was holding me, holding me, and uh, had some great kids. I, I taught awesome kids. I never. I didn't realize that it, the whole time that I was a band director, I never sent a kid to the office for discipline until I became an assistant principal. Then I realized teachers and kids for almost nothing. And I said, wait a minute, I was in the classroom 15 years and I never sent a kid. Jen, I had wonderful discipline. I have some outstanding students that will blow you away. Yeah. Great teachers, great school superintendents, doctors, medical doctors, uh, musical directors, composers. I got them all, police officers, detectives. Uh, I mean, uh, just awesome kids. And to this day, they still, even the gang members, I was in the even they come and thank me. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had time to tell you some of that. And so it makes me feel good. And in my personal Facebook page, there's an album called Former Students. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, you can meet them everywhere I go. I love to hear, yeah. Mr. Chavez, Mr. Chavez, my director, Mr. Chavez, my principal. And I turn around and we take a photo. <laughs> you know, so... So music, teaching music to young kids. 
So many lives touched. It's really fantastic thing, fantastic day. And I met you, I don't know, in the 1980s. And I was. Uh, you remember how we met? We were in, in uh, I don't know. The article. Corpus Christi. Uh, well, no, no. Uh, from we first talked, uh, the Vietnam veteran, uh, the Vietnam magazine had an article yeah. about the dedication of the, uh, and your phone number was on there. And I called you. And we were talking, and when we said one night, I said, oh, so, so was I. And that's why I called you. But I never realized in, as the conversation went on, and this is what happened. When you asked me what unit, you went silent. I said D412. And you got real quiet. And I said, uh, we're on the phone. And then you said again, what unit? I said D412. You know, you asked me, what day did you leave Vietnam? And I said, September 1868. And what did you say after that? Do you remember? You arrived around that time. That's right. <laughs> we, we passed in the night. <laughs> Two ships. <laughs> you know, and that was our first conversation ever on the phone. And because of a Vietnam magazine article. And from then on, we became friends and we're, You've been to Corpus twice? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Wonderful town. And, uh, uh, hopefully you'll make it a third time. And yes. this time, both of you come. Yes, yes, yes. We'll catch some fish and lay on the beach. All right. I want to thank you once again. And uh, when I first met Ram, as we were parting, he said, Dan, mi casa es su casa. My house is yours. Sí, señor. And you're more than welcome at our home. I, really, I don't know. I, I don't know if you heard, but uh, my repairman came in. Words, <laughs> he went to all the color. <laughs> I don't know if you heard us talking Spanish. You guys, me. What color do you want? <laughs> <laughs> well, as they say, thank you for your service, Ram. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your friendship. Bye bye.